Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Jimena Vengochea. She is the author of the new book, Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. And in this conversation, we'll talk about why listening is so important, how listening ties into productivity, some of the biggest listening mistakes that we make when it comes to communication, different types of listening modes, and the three components that we need to bring to every conversation. Having better conversations and listening, especially as a skill, is huge when it comes to productivity. I think we can all agree. This is a great conversation with Jimena Vengochea. So I'll just get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Jimena Vengochea. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I got to say, you know, somebody would think, oh, a book about listening. Why do we need that? But <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious once going through it, how amazing we are off track, I guess, in terms of what we think of listening and what actual listening is. I'm so curious. You come from kind of a, a researcher world and even some of the tech space world I've seen. I'm curious what hit you off to this topic in particular and then the wealth of information surrounding listening and the importance of it and, and then how to do it better. Yeah. So my training is as a user researcher, and that's a role that's common in technology companies, but isn't necessarily well known outside of the tech industry. But basically what you do as a user researcher is you interview people, you run workshops, you try and understand people in order to help your company build a better product. And so that's what I've done at companies like Pinterest, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And as I was becoming a researcher early on, you know, you learn some of the core skills, one of them being listening, because if you're not able to really hear what someone is saying in conversation, you're going to walk away with either bad data, you might misunderstand them, um, or incomplete data. And both of those in that scenario of trying to learn something in order to build a better product are pretty, pretty bad outcomes. So as I was building up this skill set, I also just started to realize that these skills could just as easily be applied outside of a lab setting. And maybe seven or eight years ago, I actually wrote an article about listening. And that was kind of my first foray into thinking, okay, how do these skills translate outside of the UX lab? And people seem to like it. And then I went back to work. You know, I kind of just kept doing um, what I was doing. And it wasn't until a few years ago where I really you know, sat down and revisited the topic. And I just realized that we're living in this moment right now where 
so many of us feel disconnected from each other for a variety of reasons. I think some of that's cultural, some of it's political, some of it has to do with technology, some of it has to do with the pandemic. But I think it's a, it's a pretty pervasive feeling. And it struck me that listening could be a bridge to that feeling of connection that so many of us are craving. So I thought, okay, now's the time, you know, to, to really translate these ideas because I think there's just a huge potential to help people feel just a little bit less lonely in their day-to-day worlds through listening. Yeah. I couldn't help but think of all the fun times that I had in college when I was a communications major studying communication theory. And th- and this just brought back some of those memorable moments of college where those theories and talking about them and discussing them all about different communication styles and settings and hindrances. And I couldn't help but think, you know, we I, I love that you're honing in on listening and what that truly is versus just absorbing someone's talking or registering that there there's that there are sound waves coming at you from somebody else in other words yeah yeah i mean i think that there is um there is an understanding of listening as just you know like you're just giving someone your ear <laughs> you know yeah. at its most basic is you're letting them talk and you're staying quiet and i think you know, there is a distinction. There are different levels of listening. There's what I would call surface listening, where you're hearing enough of the conversation to sort of nod and smile, to, you know, stay polite, um, to, you know, finish that meeting and, and save face, you know. But it's not the same as really hearing beyond the literal words, hearing the subtext, the meaning, and also the emotion that that other person maybe expressing or feeling in that moment. And when we can get down to that level, that's what I call empathetic listening, where you're really tuning into the other person in a much more whole way. And that's where I think so much of the connection between individuals really comes in. And that's what makes those really exciting conversations that you remember many years later. Yeah, it it is this true communication that I think you, you were really hitting at here with this. And I just, I couldn't help but think that it's why I like podcasting because I get to do this conversational, you know, give and take. And if I were to pull the curtain back and say, I have my cues then to evoke a hopefully interesting response from somebody on the other side. And sometimes they can see me, sometimes they can't, but that's me coming at it from my one-sidedness, my one-side communication perspective that's not me listening, though. Now, I am listening, and I am hearing, and I am paying attention, but it's almost like that's the perspective that a lot of people take when they enter into regular conversations is, okay, what do they have to say? How do I tell them all that I need to? And then this interaction can end, which is not what you're talking about. You're talking about true connection. Yeah, and I think I think you're right that there is a difference between an interview setting where You would naturally have some kind of agenda, but are also trying to actively listen to, you know, get to that point in everyday conversation. But I think you're right that we often do have an agenda in everyday conversations. We're just not aware of it in the same way. Like you as an interviewer, you've done the prep work. You plan this in advance, right? You think about it. We don't necessarily put that much thought and preparation into everyday conversations, but we still have There's still a thing that we tend to want. And what's interesting about that is when you start to realize that every conversation has, let's call it a hidden need, 
it can change the nature of your conversations. In the first way, it's about thinking about, well, what is your sort of hidden agenda? And what is the other person's hidden need? Do these match? Do these align? Might my agenda be getting in the way? And one of the things I talk about in the book is a very natural response that we all have in conversation, which is a default listening mode. So this is your natural way of showing up in conversation. This is the filter that you tend to hear things through and it can be really useful or it can be a real hindrance in conversation, depending on that hidden need. And so an example of that would be if I am someone who has a validating default listening mode, that means that I'm the type of person who hears everything as, you know, from the position of a cheerleader. So if a friend is sharing some struggles that they're having, let's say with a coworker, I'm the person who is going to say, yeah, but you're right and they're wrong. Like you've got this, you know, and sometimes that's really lovely. And sometimes that's really helpful and reaffirming, but sometimes the other person might know that actually they are in the wrong and they don't need necessarily affirmation. They're looking for something else. And so that's an example where someone's need and your mode start to come against each other and they don't necessarily produce the most connected conversation. And there are many modes that we can bring into conversation. And it's really just about adapting them in the moment and and uncovering that hidden need without sticking to our own agenda. The hidden need might even be hidden to the person that has the need. <laughs> you know, how often exactly. are we, you know, how, how good are we at even, you know, this is a whole other deep tangent we could go on and I don't know that we need to write this second, but how often are we listening even to ourselves before we enter into conversations, knowing truly what, you know, a, a lot of the time we think of listening as something I do on my end and it may be, you know, to my benefit, but it's also and maybe more so to the benefit of the other person to be heard as well as acknowledge that they've communicated what they need to communicate. But it's also listening to yourself. I've found that sometimes some of the worst conversations I've been in have been my fault, not because I wasn't listening, but because I went into it with wrong assumptions and wrong with unawareness of my own thoughts and feelings and haven't prepared for the conversation. Yeah. And I think sometimes even when we think we have prepared, we still may not know what our need is, or we may know and be afraid to share it. I think it's very rare to have someone in conversation say, you know what I really need right now is to be supported, mm. right? Like, And a lot of times we are looking for support, but it's hard to say that. It's hard to admit that. That's not really part of our vocabulary in a way that you know other things are like, I want you to do this, or I'm delegating this task might be when we talk more about our own feelings, many of us tend to shy away from that. And that's where from a listener's perspective, it can be frustrating where you're sort of trying to figure out what this other person needs. And it would be so much easier if they just told you, but it's just not human nature for us to do that. And so as the listener, you're sort of helping pull that out, but you're also doing that in partnership with the other person. You know, you're not necessarily projecting your interpretation on them, nor is the point to push them so far that, you know, you get them to admit that, but they're crying by the time they admit <laughs> that, for example. Um, so it is, it is a partnership as opposed to, you know, one side being completely responsible for either receiving and understanding and interpreting everything or, you know, declaring explicitly that need. They, they have to work in tandem, I think. 
We've had a lot of conversations recently in terms of meditation and distraction, just in general, you know, distractions of, you know, focusing in on work, meditation with, you know, training your brain and, you know, having a thought and then letting it go and then having a thought and then letting it go and you know, then using that to your advantage. And I couldn't help but think that some of the listening skills that you're talking about in this book are basically staying present in the conversation and not just, you know, again, waiting for your chance to speak or waiting for the person to finish speaking. And I wonder if you can speak to either of those things, meditation practices and help with that or distractions, you know, in terms of, you know, we were distracted before social media and tech, but they definitely became an enabler. Yeah. And, you know, it's very hard to listen if you are distracted. That's those two things don't go together. If your mind is elsewhere, you cannot hear what the person in front of you is saying. And so there are mindfulness techniques to help you stay present. I think part of that is, you know, when a thought comes up in conversation, as it often does, you know, if someone's speaking to you and you're trying to listen and maybe it sparks an idea where, ah, that's that's really cool. I want to follow up on this later, or I want to think more about this or, oh, that's interesting. I want to ask this question or, oh, I'm having a strong reaction to what's being said, or just, you know, your thoughts are going elsewhere uh, as they are want to do, you know, and you're thinking about your grocery list or how it's getting late or, you know, how your body's tired because you've been sitting in a chair and, you know, looking at Zoom all day, whatever it may be. I think one thing you can do is just acknowledge that, listen to that thought and say, okay, that's my body trying to give me a message, or that's my anxiety speaking, or, you know, that's, those are my thoughts and they're starting to run the show and just sort of labeling it for yourself and returning back to the present. It's the same kind of thing that you would do if you were meditating, which is you're trying to be still and you're trying to be present, but those thoughts still enter and you just acknowledge them. You kind of say hi and you let them go on their way. Um, without beating yourself up too much about it, because then you're going down a whole different path and still not, you know, staying present. So just acknowledging them and coming back to the present can be one thing that when you're in a conversation can be very helpful. Is there any merit to if you recognize that you're distracted and you one acknowledge it and continue to bring your attention back to the conversation? Is there any benefit to reaching out to the other person and saying and admitting I, hey, I am distracted. I am so sorry. And, and seeing what the options are and just reconfirming, I really want to talk with you. I am I am trying to listen. I'm having a hard time because of such and such. And maybe not make excuses, but does having that vulnerability with the other person add any kind of benefit or is it just, okay, let's try this again after, a fa- you know, maybe, maybe the conversation ends and you double check, okay, did I get everything out of that conversation I was supposed to? Did they say it? What? Let me, re, you know, re, let me reconfirm they said what they said. But yeah, is there any benefit to being vulnerable like that? Absolutely. I think when you can let someone else in on what you're experiencing, it invites them to do the same. They might say, oh, me too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but they may also just appreciate knowing that you want to be there and that you know that something is getting in the way. The one thing I would say is you probably don't want to make a habit of being that person who is 
always distracted in conversation. So it loses its effectiveness if every time you sit down with, you know, let's say that individual, you at some point say, I'm sorry, I'm really distracted, right? Then it's just, they might no longer take that as, you know, oh, oh, there's trust here and you're telling me how you're experiencing this moment and you want to listen. They might just start to take that as lip service of like, okay, well, this person doesn't really, isn't invested enough because every time we sit down, they mention they're distracted. So I would say, you know, gauge the relationship and also the frequency in which it makes sense to share this kind of information, but certainly it can create more openness um, and just reiterate that you really are there for them and you're human and, and we all are. And so sometimes things get in the way. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The only other thing I would say is you can also think about this up front. So you can, you know, reflect on what are the things that enable you to stay present? What are the things that prevent you from staying present? And can you design an experience for yourself and the other person that will allow you to do that? So, for example, knowing whether you're a morning person or a night owl, knowing whether you can handle three deep conversations in a day or one, knowing whether you're fine to skip breakfast because you've been skipping it your whole life and it really doesn't affect you, or you can't take that meeting without having something in your stomach because you will be so distracted by how hungry you are that you can't hear anything, right? So there are things that we can do with some reflection about how we show up in conversation and what enables us to be present 
and then design the conversation in support of those things. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of timetable and again, going back to self-awareness, there's a lot of self-awareness on our part that we can do in terms of priming ourselves to be better when we're in listening mode. Some of this stuff is stuff we've talked about on the show before, you know, hey, you don't want to have that meeting at three o'clock in the afternoon because that's a time where you're going to be more tired. That's more admin time. You know, try to make sure your calendar is blocked out then so people can't choose to have a conversation with you at that point. There are still going to be exceptions to the rule where you will have to move things and change things. I wonder then, you know, what's an emergency kind of a situation there? Say we know we're going to have a tough conversation and we don't really have control over the where and the when. How can we prepare for that? I think if you don't have control necessarily over the where or the when, what I would say is there's probably a small something very small that you can do to better set yourself up for success. And I like to recommend taking 60 seconds for yourself, just a minute, you know, before you log into that meeting or before you walk over to your next appointment, just 60 seconds of silence, of clearing your head, of regrouping can be very helpful to sort of reset before you go into those conversations. Yeah. Being able to, you know, collect yourself, in other words, beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. That's good. I mean, here's the thing. We've talked around it for a little bit here, but what what are some of these best ways? You know, maybe it's not an emergency. How can we get started with listening better? I think this feels like it might be either beneath some people, like, oh, it's just listening. To others, it's like, oh, no, this is daunting. I've got to change the way I do everything. I want to, you know, maybe meet in the middle and say, is there some easy initial steps that we can see oh, wow, that really works, you know, quick wins when it comes to listening better. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is thinking about what are the qualities that you bring into conversation and are they conducive to listening? So we talked a little bit about default listening modes and and certainly reflecting on what your default is part of that. But the other thing to think about are these three qualities that I call a listening mindset. And so that's empathy, humility, and curiosity. And when we bring those into conversations, we're able to listen much more deeply and take the conversation to a much more meaningful place. So if we take starting with humility, that's really approaching the conversation less from the position of I am an expert in a topic or field or I know what's coming next or I have an assumption about how this is going to go or a strong opinion to becoming a student of the other person and really being open to learning from them and letting them be the expert in their experience and and teaching us about that, which I think is not necessarily the mindset that many of us come into conversation with. (laughs) Um, It's actually the opposite of of how many of us tend to show up. And so that is a, a first and very important shift. When you're able to do that, you open the way for the other person to share more authentically. And from there, you can bring curiosity in. And curiosity is going to be the quality that allows the conversation to go deeper. So for a lot of us, it's pretty easy for us to be curious about topics that we're naturally interested in. Um, We want to know more, but it can be harder to be curious about areas that we kind of already know about ourselves, like, okay, that's, 
sports, not interested in that, or that's like finance. I don't want to go there. You know, whatever it is, everybody has their version of there are certain just areas that we're just not naturally drawn to. But if you can take the approach or the mindset that there is always more to learn, even if the topic is not one that you're naturally interested in, that's going to help the conversation go deeper. Because even if I don't care about sports, I can care about why does this other person care so much about sports? What does this mean about them? How did this impact the choices they've made? Why do they want to share this story with me? What is motivating this, right? Those are all things that I can get curious about and use that to stay engaged in the conversation. And then empathy is really trying to understand the other person's experience. And it doesn't mean that we need to share exactly in that experience. It doesn't mean that if you've experienced the loss of a parent, I need to experience that too in order to empathize. It means that I need to tap into moments where I felt grief in my life, even if it's not that exact scenario. And when you're able to go to that emotional level, we can all relate to feeling shame, fear, you know, joy, any of those range of emotions. And that also allows us to, again, connect on a different level than we would otherwise and that we than we normally do. So I think as a starting point, remembering that those three qualities exist and trying our best to bring them into conversation. Sometimes, you know, it will be easier to dial up that curiosity than others, but trying to bring those three in can really just shift the tenor of the conversation. I love that because it, it almost shifts from, you know, like, so, so for example, I'll give an example. Um, you know, I love my wife to death and yet there are times where she's talking and I have a very hard time paying attention because what she's talking about specifically the topic she's talking about isn't something that I necessarily care about, but flipping that and realizing, well, it's not about what she's talking about. It's about that I care about the person that's talking. And so get a little more curious or especially have more empathy in terms of that person. And and that's with somebody that's, you know, very close to me. It should be easiest to do with that person than let alone, you know, a coworker or even a stranger when we're talking to them. But that's where maybe more of the curiosity comes in, in terms of there's less familiarity. So we can say, well, I don't know who you are as a person. Let me really dial up that curiosity and and start to ask questions of, you know, more of interest and draw more out of them that way. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, I think there's a way in which actually it might be harder to express these qualities with people we know really well because we already feel we know them pretty well, or, you know, maybe your wife has brought up that topic before. And so you kind of already know, oh yeah, she wants to talk about this, which I'm not really interested in. And so it can be easy to fall into these patterns. And we just have so much more history with that person or with our family that, you know, our emotions can really come to the surface or, or prevent us from listening in a different way. And so I would say that each of these, you know, relationships, whether they're someone we know really well or someone we're meeting for the first time, they have their own challenges in terms of how we can, you know, apply these lessons and these qualities in conversation. But when we're able to get past, again, ourselves, (laughs) right, whether we know the person well or not, when we're able to 
get out of our own experience and really understand the other person's experience, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. I think one of the other unconscious things that we do when we're listening and even when we're speaking has to do, and this goes back to the communication theory I was talking about earlier, is our body language and how that expresses what we are, you know, if we're even actively listening, as well as there's other social cues that come along with that. How can we use our body language to shift our listening into a better place? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think body language can be useful in two ways. The first in terms of understanding, you know, interpreting cues that your conversation partner may be giving you. And then also what I think you're mentioning is tuning into our own body and realizing what's what we're experiencing in the moment and how we can like literally make ourselves more receptive to what the other person is saying. And so for both of those, it's thinking about things like your posture, how closed or open you are, like literally, like you want to come in with an open mind, like don't cross your arms over your chest. That's a closed position, right? So you're opening yourself up to the other person. You know, you're relaxing your body. You're you're not clenching fists, which I think sometimes we, we may do in frustration. Um, it's taking deep breaths. It's things like that. But it's also eye contact. It's also catching yourself. Are, are you fully facing the person or, you know, are your feet pointing away because you really do want to go? Um, your feet tend to be a pretty revealing indicator. The same is true if you're talking with someone else. If you kind of glance at where their feet are, if they're facing you, probably they are fully engaged. But if they're shifted to the side, even if their torso is facing you, that may be a sign that they're ready to bolt, but they're either too polite to say so or they haven't figured out how to say they need to leave the conversation. So you're looking for those kinds of cues, both in your own body, what are you experiencing and in others? And I think the reason that I thought of that to bring that up was that familiarity with with people that we already have a lot of contact with or we have a, a deeper relationship with already. When we enter into a conversation with them, we're probably entering into a more relaxed position and may potentially be betraying our communication by unconsciously or physically representing ourselves as not listening. So they, and they cue into that. And so we're setting ourselves up for, oh, well, I didn't mean it. I just, I'm familiar with you. I like you. I love you. But they see it as you're not really listening because we are so familiar that it's become mundane instead of, you know, exciting and curious and engaging with conversation. Yeah. And for, for moments like that, if, if I could choose one thing to focus on, you know, so that folks don't feel like, oh man, I can't relax on my couch, <laughs> you know, when I'm having a, a conversation, you can. Uh, the thing that I would focus on is, is eye contact, because that's really the thing that tells someone else, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm listening. So my body can be relaxed, you know, whatever. But if you're making eye contact, that's really the thing that tells someone like, I'm here, I'm here for you. Well, that's, you know, that's almost another check of checking yourself or having a moment, you know, the 60 seconds or whatever before entering into the conversation. I don't think anybody would be thinking you were rude if, as you were saying, hey, can we talk? Or as they were saying to you, hey, can we talk? And I say, yes, let me put my phone in do not disturb mode real quick mm -hmm. and then put it away. You know, that kind of, it, it's not a signal of my phone's more important. It's a signal of, Yes, let me make sure I'm not distracted and then okay, go ahead. 
you know, and then hone in and be physically, mentally, emotionally, and other things I could insert here, uh, present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think again, just like letting the other person in on that by doing that, you're really, you're literally telling them like, I'm here for you. So you're, you're engaging with eye contact and all these other cues, but you're also saying this is important to me. That's why I'm putting my phone away. And I do think that, you know, it's no surprise. We all know this devices are a huge culprit of distracting us in conversation, but also in decreasing our empathy. So Sherry Turkle has done research on this and just the mere presence of a device in conversation, just in our line of sight, doesn't even have to be on, can decrease our ability to be empathetic in conversation. And so I love the like, hey, I want to have this conversation. I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to put it away. Okay, now I'm here for you. Yeah, it, it it eliminates that something more important may come up and I want to be ready to address that instead of you at any moment. And it switches how you engage because you're no longer in this sort of anxious, possibly reactive mode because part of you is waiting for the next ping or notification. And it allows you to just stay present and lean into the conversation instead of kind of tentatively multitasking at the same time. Mm. What about when we know we are going to be having, or even if we, if, even if we don't, if it's, if it's a surprise, but we're going to have those uncomfortable conversations. It's not something we're going into looking forward to it. And we've got bundled into it, either emotions on either side or both, and even disagreements that we're already aware of and it's uncomfortable but necessary how can we go in and make sure we maintain proper listening techniques in those situations so this is tough but i think important there are going to be those conversations that feel risky for that reason and may make us uncomfortable i think the first thing if this is something that you know okay i have to broach this topic with so and so i'm not excited about it i think the first thing is allowing everybody to opt in. So you may have something that you want to discuss that feels like a thorny issue. You don't want to blindside the other person. So giving them a chance and saying, hey, I know this probably isn't going to be a fun conversation, but I think it's really important that we talk about X. Would you be up for that? You know, can, can we talk about this sometime soon or, or whenever, like schedule something? But just making sure that everybody's on the same page as a first step the other is when you're in that conversation, I think it's absolutely fair to say and acknowledge that it's a difficult conversation and even to provide some reassurance, both for yourself and the other person and say, you know, this conversation might get uncomfortable, but I want you to know that my intention here is not to provoke or push you too far in any way. My intention here is really to understand you better and understand your perspective better. But again, you're sort of, you're naming it, right? Which is, which is an exercise we talked about earlier, which is something that psychologists talk about as a way of handling emotions. You name what is happening and the act of naming it can diffuse some of the tension and allow you to focus again. So I think that's another important piece. The other is, especially in difficult conversations, really important to go back to humility and remember that you're not trying to convince someone of your perspective or win an argument or get them over to your side of the table. Because when we take that approach, we tend to push the other person away, but really to generate 
understanding and, and again, empathy for the other person. And then the very last thing I'll say is that if a boundary has been crossed for you or for the other person, it is perfectly reasonable to pause the conversation to say, hey, I'm noticing that my emotions are really getting the best of me or something you said really just didn't land well with me and I'm having trouble focusing or I don't think I can keep you know, having a productive conversation based on how I'm feeling right now, whatever version of that feels true, it's perfectly acceptable to say that and say, this conversation still means a lot to me, but I I can't see it through in this way. Can we pause and come back to this tomorrow? Or I need to go take like a five minute walk and come back, whatever it is. You know, a difficult conversation doesn't mean that each of you has to be pushed to your limits. So it's important to be aware of when you feel like you're getting close to that or when the other person is getting close to that and respect those boundaries as well. Mm, Yeah. I think the other question I have is not just in difficult situations or conversations. uh, What are some of those, you know, biggest listening mistakes that people make in general? And we've, we've addressed some of them. So one of the most common listening mistakes I think is that we think we're listening when we're really not. Um, so we think we're there with the other person, but we're winding up a response this is a very common thing where someone says something and then we, we know exactly what we want to say. And some of us make that really clear because we interrupt. <laughs> so that thought just comes out of our mouth. We don't even wait. Some of us wait and that waiting, we think we're listening, but we're really waiting <laughs> and we're holding on to what we have to say. And so we're winding up instead of just winding down and hearing what the other person has to say. And the truth is that most times when we have something to say that is really important, it will probably come back to us, especially if there is an emotional resonance. We don't tend to forget those kinds of things. So we we actually don't need to work that hard to hold on to that idea and quickly jump in because it's likely that it will naturally come back. And so we can let go of it for a little bit and stay present and be there with that other person. But I would say that's probably one of the most common listening mistakes is we think we're listening when we're really waiting and we're kind of perfecting our own response. Yeah, man. There's so much more in the book in terms of practical information, but I also want to say for those people that really geek out over, I don't want to say theoretical, how let's put it this way, deeply researched facts. Let's go that way, which doesn't have to go against practical. It actually, it aids in that. But for people that want to pick this up, the the book is called Listen Like You Mean It. And then I love the subtitle, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. This really makes me feel like warm and tingly in my brain and my heart at the same time, if I can give that compliment. So yeah, I really love this book. I I think this is going to be something that I end up sharing with a number of people moving forward. But I would love to point people to where they can maybe find out more about you, find out more about the book. So where's a great place for that? Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the kind words. And um, I love the way that you described the book and and all the the warm fuzzies there. Um, So if folks are interested, uh, they can go to my website, which is himenavingwichea.com slash listen like you mean it. And you can find more about the book there. And if you're interested in more about me, I have a newsletter, which is also linked from my website. And I'm on social on Twitter and Instagram um, and all that good stuff. And 
I like to say I have pretty good SEO. So if you can spell my first and last name, you'll probably find me. Yes, that's true. Awesome. Well, this has been great. And, and it's been fun discussing this with you. I would urge everybody to take a deeper look at listening and communicating and especially this book. So Jimena, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for talking. Oh, thank you so much for the great conversation. I appreciate it. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Jimena Vengochea and found a new appreciation for listening and even found maybe a way past some of the things that you were unaware of were hanging up your listening skills and your communication skills. If you found this conversation helpful and interesting, I highly recommend the book. If you found this episode helpful and you enjoyed this conversation, I would love for you to do me the favor of sharing this with somebody that you know needs to hear it. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice or hit the share button over on the podcast show notes over at beyondthetodolist.com. Thank you again for sharing. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next episode.